You're listening to Campus Review Radio. The idea of free speech at the minute, it's a big topic, I guess you all know. Um, everyone seems to talk about it, and it seems to be now seeping into unis as well, or the idea that there is a lack of free speech at universities. Obviously, you authored the IPA's paper on it, um, and the overall conclusion of your paper was fairly damning. Only one uni, in your opinion, protects free speech. UNE, I think it was. Tell, tell me a bit yeah. about it. Sure. So the, the Free Social Campus Audit was an, is an assessment of the, the formal state of free speech on campus. Um, and it looks at the university policies and as well as actions of universities um, that potentially uh, have or, or do limit uh, free speech on campus. And what it found is that, uh, as, as you've said, that there are some extremely um, concerning trends when it comes university policies and the actions on campus uh, when it comes to free speech that are, I would say, creating a, a chilling environment for the capacity to, to freely express ideas. Um, so you have university policies that, that prevent things like um, insulting and unwelcome comments, offensive language, or in some cases sarcasm and hurt feelings. And while, while that all might, may sound good enough in theory, in practice, if you're going to facilitate free and open debate, occasionally offence will be caused, occasionally feelings will be heard. And if you try to prevent that, all you're really doing is preventing that debate happening in the first place. Mm-hmm. So that's an extremely concerning. Uh, as well as on top of that, you've got specific actions by universities um, that have a, a further chilling effect and indicate that the institutions are not necessarily open um, for, for free free discourse. So you have, um, so the most recent examples are, are someone like Peter Reed being sacked at James Cook University. Um, you've got ANU, uh, obviously well within their right to reject the Ramsey Centre money, but that indicates that they're, they're closed off to certain ideas in the process. But wasn't, was the, if, just along the along the lines of the Ramsey Centre, wasn't that just because Ram, the Ramsey, the, the money behind the Ramsey Centre wanted carte blanche in um, hiring, the syllabus and and that sort of thing? Wasn't that more the reason that the that ANU decided against it? Well, look, I'm, I'm not uh, directly involved with the negotiation yeah. process between, between Ramsey and, and uh, the ANU. Um, that was the claim subsequently made by the university, although... If you look at the documentation behind it, um, it was no, not too dissimilar to any other relationship between a foundation and the university, which is that if, if providing money, um, the, it would be a, a consolidated process between the Ramsey Foundation and the university, and then the university would have the final say mm-hmm. on whether or not someone would or wouldn't be hired. Yeah. Ultimately, what happened uh, at ANU was that it was all going perfectly well until there was a broad rejection, not about... Um, necessarily the independence of the centre, but the ideas that the centre might be exploring. And it was asserted um, from a, I suppose, a certain ideological perspective um, that they, these ideas weren't welcome on campus. Mm-hmm. So whilst, of course, uh, the ANU is, is welcome to not accept the money, mm-hmm. um, no, one's, you know, no one's saying the university should be forced to accept money or, or, or do anything that they don't necessarily want to do. They are independent institutions. It is an indication that um, and you isn't particularly open to exploring the ideas of, of Western civilization. Mm-hmm. And, in the, and the Ramsey Center is quite interesting because it's not even necessarily just uh, political or um, discussions of the, the history of, of empire. It, it's a lot more broad when it comes to civilization. It's a lot of um, content about literature and the arts and, mm-hmm. and the great books and philosophy yeah. um, that aren't being particularly well taught at universities. Um, and it was an offer to provide funding to teach that in, in a very specialised way, and it 
was concerning that the NU was rejected. It's concerning that um, the next university, which uh, reportedly Ramsey's in negotiation with the University of Sydney, that um, Academic, dozens of academics have now signed a letter um, rejecting it out of hand without mm-hmm. actually knowing the details of what the negotiations are or, or what it will be simply because it is associated with Western civilization and there's the, the ideas in the academy are very much uh, against the notion of, of Western civilization being an important topic to study or that they're being valued in exploring Western civilization. So it's an indication, I suppose, of uh, an ideological monoculture which exists in the university in the first place, which is um, results in a, a, a kind of groupthink in which opposing ideas are um, not only seen as, as somehow wrong but uh, unteachable and, and not to be explored, which I think is extremely contradictory for the purpose of a university in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's come back to that, but I just uh, uh, just for another second, still on the Ramsey Centre. Yeah. Um, do you see the fact that Malcolm Turnbull was straight on the phone to the VC of ANU? voicing his displeasure, that in itself is kind of uh, against free speech and that would have a chilling effect on that university and other universities if they think the Prime Minister is going to call them up. Well, I, th- I think there's, that you're right. There's a, careful, there's a careful balance that needs to be achieved between uh, government and, and universities. So mm-hmm. it, is, it is worth keeping in our heads that uh, universities are public institutions, universities are publicly funded, um, they're created by government legislation, mm-hmm. um, they, they are not uh, private entities in the first place. And whilst they, they should absolutely have the capacity to be um, self-governing, I think that they, at the same time, need to be accountable um, to, to public, uh, public scrutiny and commentary as a virtue of the fact that there is billions of dollars of money going to it. But not even that, but the, the longer-term impact of, of, of education um, mm-hmm. on, on a society at large means that I think universities are... Um, should be open open to criticism. I mean, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with, let's say, Malcolm Turnbull calling up and saying, unless you take the Ramsey Centre, I'm going to cut all your all your funding. But mm. I would be comfortable with, with the kind of conversations happening to say, well, you know, why did this happen? What is going on here? What's, mm-hmm. the, what's the reason for this? So I, I don't necessarily um, have an issue with that. It, right. it is worth noting as well that universities are mandated by legislation as, as a consequence, as, sorry, as, a, as a condition of receiving federal funding to uphold intellectual freedom mm-hmm. on their campus. Yeah. So if they're failing in that role um, and they're failing to protect intellectual freedom, there's arguably a responsibility by the, by the government and the, the regulator of higher education to hold the university to account accordingly. Mm-hmm. So I, I, think, I think you're right that you, you don't want to see governments um, dominating and, and telling universities what they can and can't teach or, or telling them what money to accept and not accept. But I think when there's an overarching cultural issue or an institutional issue, um, in the in the general sense, there is a responsibility for the state. Yeah. Um, do you see it as a problem? Uh, there's a piece, there's a, a large piece today in the Australian dedicated to this very issue. Um, I, Janet Albrookson, I believe she's involved yeah. with the IPA in some fashion, but she cites your paper quite a lot. Um, do you believe a lot of commentators and some academics believe that unis are run or have a culture of leftist um, thought and this is the problem. Would you agree with that? I mean, I think that's, that's probably the case. So I've, I've done, um, I'm not sure if you saw it, I did a, a, a three weeks, four weeks ago, I had a, a feature piece in The Australian that discussed um, uh, the sense in which universities have become uh, ideologically homogenous. So mm-hmm. as a particular danger to the pursuit of higher learning and research and that really came, that article came from actually interviewing 
um, dozens of academics from across the political spectrum, from different disciplines who are concerned that as a result of the domination of one ideological perspective, universities are not able to function properly. So when everyone comes from the same background, from the same general lines of thinking, you're basically going to all be asking the same questions the same way, mm-hmm. and you're less likely to challenge each other's research. As a consequence of that, you're going to become overconfident in your thinking and just reject other people with different perspectives um, as, not, as not just wrong, but perhaps um, evil in some sense, because you mm-hmm. just don't understand where they're coming from, because you just haven't heard that opinion expressed. Yeah. Uh, and, and fundamentally for universities to work effectively, um, because every human has biases that will push them in a, in a certain direction, it's necessary for diversity of viewpoints to be represented in different people, for, for there to be a conservatives as well as libertarians, as, as well as classic liberals, as well as socialists and Marxists and communists and mm-hmm. uh, Freudians and um, Foucaultians and, and, and whatever else. But mm-hmm. the problem is when you, when you strip out um, a whole line of political, cultural, social thinking from universities, yeah. um, they're going to be less functional in the first place to try to achieve their goal. And I would um, agree with that. Also- but where, So where is this idea that it is only the left or that the prevailing theory, especially when we have a conservative government and the society, our society in Australia seems to be to the conservative side, where is this idea that the unis are all left-wing? Because where would the conservatives come from? Where is this idea coming from? I mean, that's a, that's a good question. So I think underlying it um, is a tendency from what you see in terms of the output of universities and, and highly educated people um, to be more politically, culturally, socially of the left. So I think you can see it in from, from the rest of some, some of my colleagues in terms of the, the type of topics and subjects that are being taught. Um, you can I see it in terms of when um, I talk to students and academics all the time, they'll, they'll tell me that um, you're far more likely to find someone with a political left than the political right. Mm-hmm. Um, in Australia, there isn't as good quantitative research on this, although I'm, I'm working on it at the moment, but there's good quantitative research in the US that suggests something like um, 90% of, of academics are of the centre or, or the left, and only about 10% would, would identify as conservative. Mm-hmm. So even though America is obviously a lot more of a conservative society, universities um, are dominated by a particular strain of political, cultural, social thinking that mm. isn't necessarily reflective of society. But then large. that's probably not a problem then. If people are, if the left are, if the unis are surrounded by the left or run by the left, but the governments and uh, society turns out still conservative, that would suggest that people have gone to university, listened to things, but decided to go another way. Well, I mean, most people actually don't go to university. So okay. it's a minority go to university in the first place. So it's mm-hmm. not necessarily that people have gone to university in enough a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think young people in university graduates are probably more likely to be influenced by that. But if, if that's, it's a cause and effect issue. Mm-hmm. So it's, the, the cause might be that they've gone to university or they might have gone to university because they were already kind of that way, mm-hmm. uh, politically predisposed. So it's, it's hard to, to separate those two. Um, it's, but it, even... Even if uh, it's not necessarily changing the students' minds or, it's, or it's, it's making Australia more left-wing, it is still a problem for the universities as a, as a functional um, institution mm-hmm. in, order, in order to function effectively, to have that debate okay. process, that intellectual inquiry process. You need those different perspectives. So it is, yeah. even if universities are surrounded in, in wider society by people with different perspectives, you need people actually in universities who are doing the academic work who are challenging each other because if you're not at a university, you're not really reading academic papers or providing feedback on them. It's a bit of a 
can be, often be too much of a closed shop, and that's another issue with universities. But mm-hmm. um, the, the academic process is, is very much feedback amongst your colleagues, and if all your colleagues agree with you, broadly speaking, they're not going to manage to find the flaws. In, they're less, sorry, I say, they're less likely to manage to find uh, the flaws in your your thinking. Mm-hmm. So, what again, along the lines of the free speech, what isn't being taught now, or what can't be said at unis that we should be worried about? Uh, so there was there was a work um, in terms of the IPAs. Uh, history audit suggested that there was a, a particularly large focus on identity politics, on um, seeing things from an issue of class, race, and gender, and then um, correlated with that was a, a, sort of a lesser focus on on the West, on, on British um, history, on um, liberal liberal dem- the history of liberal democracy, the kind of classic um, topics of history that are relevant to Australia and relevant to Australia's. Um, past, present, and future. So you get a consequential bias in the, in the nature of the content that is taught. Um, so I'll give one example. I was at, I was at university maybe five, six years ago, and I did a course on uh, political philosophy. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a terrible course. It had a, it wasn't um, you know terribly misleading. But there were about twelve weeks of the course, and I, I think like one week was on liberalism, one week was on conservatism, and then the other ten weeks were on various kinds of um, uh, left-wing thoughts, so, you know, one week on Marxism, one week on communism, one week on socialism, one week on um, post-structural, one week on environmental politics, kind of all thinking that derives um, from from broad left-wing thought. So you get yeah. a mis, I suppose you get a misfocus, and as well on top of that, the the weeks that were on liberalism or conservatism were extremely critical, and while the other weeks weren't critical whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So you get that underlying kind of bias in, the, in what is taught and the way that it is taught. But again, um, even if it is taught in the first place. But again, like I would say, a discerning mind or a curious mind would come out and think about that. Like I would imagine that you are of the conservative liberal persuasion and you've come out of that and you've realised that this was maybe a bias and um, you've taken it on board and you've got your own thought or theory. You, there was Absolutely. N- I, think, I think students will, will ultimately develop their own, own thinking on issues. But mm-hmm. still, I think, a concern that people aren't exposed to as um, many ideas of thinking. So if you're not particularly of a liberal or a conservative line of thinking, you're probably not going to make the effort mm-hmm. in order to go and, and, and read it and explore it. It's, obviously, it's often why, and this, this is a point um, I've heard made, which I think is quite good, which is that the people who end up being most strengthened by the by the university process are students who are inclined a conservative or a liberal way, because they're the ones who are constantly having uh, bringing their own ideas to class and having them challenged and having to defend them. Yep. Um, and that's that's quite a healthy process. But mm-hmm. when most people in your class or most people in the university come from the opposite political perspective, uh, or sorry, sorry, I should say, when most people come from the same political perspective, um, they're not going to go through that same process of having their thinking challenged. So therefore, they don't come out as intellectually um, strong from university, which would be all about that process mm-hmm. of, of thinking about different ideas. Now, that's not to say that everything is, everything is terrible and that everything's um, going wrong and that these things don't happen. And, and you know, there are good experiences, there are good lectures, and there are good teachers. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you have um, a general lean in one particular direction, you can get some pretty perverse results when it comes to higher education. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can go back to your paper, um, you went a lot, and I know you mentioned the article you did for Australian, maybe more ac- anecdotal, but your po- paper went a lot on policy. Did you do any survey or much anecdotal research from students, academics, to get your uh, your conclusions? So, so, so more, more broadly, um, I, I do 
spent a lot of time speaking to academic students that kind of feeds into the work. The particular free speech and audit, uh, so free speech and campus audit is just more based upon, uh, I suppose, evidence and less, less anecdotes. So, mm. so that's institute that, that could be that's institutional rather than academics yeah, so on the it's, ground. It's institutional, and, and the way I see it, I think the the institutional policy makeup has a, a reflection of the, the thinking within the universities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, you can't know with precise certainty. Uh, what every individual person is thinking in the institution or the way in which um, the policies are used since the policies are process or the, the um, process of uh, punishing students can often be confidential, so, so it's rarely in the public domain. But the fact that the policies exist in the first place is an indication of a university that is not particularly open to free speech um, and that if universities want to, I suppose, signal that they are open to free debate, they... Um, I encourage them to reform the policies and, and hopefully move up in the rankings as well. And I mean, there have been some positive um, changes between the first, I've, I've done two, one in 2016, one in 2017. There were some change, positive changes between 2016 and 2017 at some institutions, um, which indicates that things can, uh, things don't have to be a certain way. Things do, do change over time. Mm-hmm. So if we are to come to the conclusion that free speech is not really allowed now at universities, how do we fix it? How do you fix it? Yeah. So I think I think it's, I think it's very difficult. So you need mm-hmm. to. Uh, my, my first step, at particularly institutional level, is to um, reform the policies. I think that sends a strong signal um, to remove sections of policies that could be infringe on free speech because that can both have a practical impact if the policies are used, it can also send a normative impact um, that the university is open for, for debate. On top of that, um, you, some universities, but a lot of universities, have um, explicit statements that protect uh, free intellectual inquiry. Um, and I think that's, that is an important and, and good institutional um, sign to, to do as a, as a premise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I suppose it's a sense of necessary cultural change when particular issues come up that you could potentially say, um, we're not going to allow that to speak on campus. Um, if you have an institutional culture, which you know that free speech and free debate is your first priority, not brand management or ideological um, ends, then you're more likely to not um, partake in action that is limiting of free speech. Um, so I suppose you've, you've really got to start um, somewhere with, with, a, with some formal institutional changes and then hope that leads to a, a cultural change 